Welcome to Leading from the Forest podcast, where I delve into the world of forest school with the intention of decoding it for parents and those new to the movement. I'm your host, Mark, the founder of EcoEd Forest School, and it's great to have you along. If you wish to access any of the show notes, you will find them in the description below. In this episode, I sit down and chat with Gillian Morehouse about death and how we can speak to children about this important subject at such an odd moment in history, but also for your parenting arsenal in the future. After 20 years of working for international companies, Gillian took the step into the world of therapy, and as the saying goes, the rest is history. Growing up and working in her hometown of Manchester, she decided to complete part of her studying in Leeds to tread some different streets and enjoy the experiences of Yorkshire, an experience she thoroughly enjoyed. Her therapy work has taken her into several of the North West's male and female prisons, and she now works in private practice in Saddleworth. During the conversation, we spoke about stepping outside your comfort zone, being flexible with plans, the trouble when we work with shoulds, her new hobby as inspired by her son, not having to travel the additional route through education, the stoicism of death and its taboo nature, suspended grief, and Gillian's top three do's and don'ts of speaking about death to children, among some other super useful things. So grab yourself a brew, sit back, and enjoy the next 50 minutes of chat. Hey Gillian, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Mark. It's lovely to have you along and to speak about your work and something which I feel is incredibly important and informative right now, but (laughs) could be considered quite a morbid subject, which is death and sort of helping children to understand it. But on a lighter note to start, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, Mark, thank you. Um, Well, I'm originally from Manchester, which uh, I believe is one of the best cities in in the UK, but I'm biased. Um, (laughs) But was then drawn to the Saddleworth Hills and the countryside just for for a different way of life. I'd grown up in Manchester when I was younger, absolutely loved it. But as with life, you come, different chapters of your life come along and I was drawn to Saddleworth, the beauty of it, the countryside. And I live up here with my husband and I have a nine-year-old little boy who absolutely loves being outdoors. And we're fortunate enough to live near a river. So he spends a lot of his time in water. Um, And as a result has now sort of got us all involved in a diving course, which for me, who is not a biggest lover of water, is quite a challenge. Um, but as I always say to my clients, step out of your comfort zone a little bit. So he has actually forced me very much out of my comfort zone. Um, so are we talking diving is in scuba diving or is in diving from like a high board? Scuba diving. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> We're into it. <laughs> so for somebody that really isn't the biggest fan of being in water, which is me, um, yeah, it's been a challenge, but, but I'm always up for a challenge. So um, we'll see where it goes. Absolutely. I've, well, I've heard a lot of people speak about scuba diving as like the key to a brand new world, because yeah. oft, often we don't see what's underneath the sea in such mm-hmm. depth and detail. Because obviously we can't hold our breath long enough. But when you're able to spend sort of twenty, thirty minutes underwater, I think that would be quite incredible, actually. Absolutely. And part of the um, the qualification, the final part of it, you have to go to the Lake District and dive in a quarry called Cape and Ray, which oh, wow. has a sunken helicopter. <gasps> I believe there's a bus, a lorry, um, a fairground horse from Blackpool Pleasure Beach, part of the roller coaster. So it fills me with excitement and trepidation in equal measures. Um, it's of diving fun. down there. Yeah. I spoke about it recently in the, in the podcast about sort of that scary, funny feeling that children sometimes get when they take risk. And it was coined by Ellen Sansetter, who's kind of a, a risk expert in, ch- in childhood. And that is the same for adults, I suppose. That scary, funny sort of butterfly flapping feeling in your tummy when something is so exciting, but yet so nerve-wracking at the same time. It's, yeah, it's, it's incredible when you kind of define it as scary, funny, I suppose. Absolutely. And I, you know, I think having a nine-year-old as well that's quite adventurous, it's taking me to lots of those places, places that I maybe didn't even go to when I was a child. Yeah. He, you know, he's a big love of roller coasters. I like roller coasters as a child, but as an adult, I would not go near them. But now he's making me go back on the roller coaster. So I think children do bring a really different dimension 
oh, either to okay. your life or back into your life, yeah. but also new adventures as well that maybe you wouldn't have ever explored before. I suppose so, a new perspective, wouldn't it be? Isn't it really? Yeah. So it's given me a definitely a new perspective. Um, lots of scary ones, but, but sometimes it's good to be a little bit scared. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you find your way into the role that you do now? Right. Well, the way into this role um, was not, not as sometimes you hear people say, I always, almost always think that I wish I had a bigger story to tell. Mm. Um, sometimes people find the way into this role because there's been a, a really life-defining moment for them, um, which I particularly didn't have. Um, I did have a defining moment when I was 30 that my dad died and he was only 52. So in today's terms, that's, that's young. Mm. Um, but that wasn't sort of the immediate catalyst to decide I wanted to go into a therapy role. But I do wonder whether somewhere under the surface that sort of started bubbling away in me. And I then sort of made a conscious decision. A course presented itself that was just a 10 10 week Saturday morning course in counselling and I thought oh, that looks fun let's give it a go um, and sometimes the fun things can take you on lots of different journeys Definitely. so I did the 10 weeks was totally hooked after week one loved it couldn't get enough um, then I decided I would follow on with the next course from that in between that I was working for American Express so a big multinational company um, and I worked in a travel area, so carried the job on, did the counselling course alongside that. Didn't really know where it was going to take me, but I do think in life sometimes opportunities present themselves. Mm. So at that point in time, a lot of banking was being moved out to India and lots of companies were finding it was easier to sort of fulfil their business through India. Um, so the centre that I worked in was being closed down. So that kind of presented me with a decision. Um, the decision I was going to make at that time was to go traveling, go and travel the world again. Love traveling, obviously working for American Express and I go traveling. But it felt like somewhere there was a different plan for me. Um, and a friend rang me one day and said, there's a job in the paper that might interest you. And that was a HMP style. So it was a women's yeah. prison. Yeah. Um, in a drug treatment facilitation program right. um so not something that was particularly my area but i do always have a little bit of an interest in places that that you feel you can't go to yeah. i was kind of like to see somewhere that's a little bit different so whether that comes from the travel part i like to explore something different mm -hmm. but then that started to play out in a work environment went for the interview got the job and then started working within prisons which was amazing um completely loved the job would probably still be in the job but then another plan came along which was have a baby so had a baby um i live in saddleworth style prison if anybody knows is near wilmslow it's a long journey hmm. baby that much traveling another choice needed to be made so i made the choice then to not return to that that role and then continue down a counseling route from there carried on working did my diploma in counseling and then thought do i stop here you know you can work with a diploma that's absolutely mm. you know a level that's okay but i was like no do you know what there's this niggling personal goal that's niggled in the back of my head for years and i thought i want to go to university now so as a grown-up um decided to go to university why not? So a very, why not? So a very different experience than maybe other people take where you feel that you go, you know, school, college, university, that path, um, which I guess also then shows people as well that you don't have to always follow that traditional route into Absolutely something. Um, you know, sometimes I hear younger people say, oh, well, I've messed this up and I can't go to university now. But I guess you can. And I'm proof of that. Yeah. So that was a personal goal for me that I really want. I really had this burning desire to have a degree. I just thought it sounded mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really it. Um, so I went to Leeds. I picked Leeds because, as I said at the beginning, I grew up in Manchester. Love Manchester completely. But thought I've sort of trodden the Manchester streets many, many times. Again, I want to try something different. So I applied to Leeds and went to Leeds University. 
it wasn't a place I was familiar with and I thought you know what that'll just be fun and it was fun and I met a great friend there and we're still friends now so yeah sometimes it is that stepping out of your comfort zone yeah um being flexible with plans you know I've, the redundancy could have gone one way or another I could mm. have gone traveling but I had choices to make um and I always firmly believe that sometimes it's trusting your instinct trust your instinct what you feel is the right thing for you at that time and go for it so I trusted my instinct and and here I am now it's almost a little bit more evidence towards the idea of fate and have and having <laughs> a grander plan sort mm. of uh, to kind of guide you down a route that perhaps you may or may not be I don't know born to take I suppose it's, it's often one of those philosophical debates isn't it you know have we got a plan or is it just a case of you make the choices for what you see as the best thing for you at that time I yeah don't and I, do, but I do always believe that when we make decisions we make the best decisions we can in that moment mm. um and I know even working with clients you go oh do you know I wish I'd done this or wish I'd done that but it's kind of coming back to the point of but you made that best decision in that moment yeah, absolutely now you look at it with a different set of eyes a different set of circumstances and a different point in time but it's that best decision at that moment mm -hmm. and yeah I can honestly say I whilst I would have loved to gone traveling the prison felt like a door that that I wanted to open um, and go through and explore something different and that did definitely take me down a completely different path um, a path maybe I would have gone down naturally yeah. but it certainly accelerated that path for me um, and it was a fantastic time so yeah that was what brought me to to leave the world of travel and end up in a world of therapy um, with prison in between which you know prison and therapy goes hand in hand as well so that was a good sort of stepping stone along the way um, to where I am now. Something I want to sort of pick up what you mentioned just before as well was that uh perceptive a plus b equals c <laughs> path of life that we're, we're led to believe that you need to go to school you need to leave school you need to go to university after university you need to get a good job and then so on and so forth but i think possibly the pandemic has even accentuated that even more but i suppose in the 21st century world we live in where technology is king and you can make a living online i think that that whole sort of uh, a plus B sort of um, algorithm, as it were, or sort of, I can't think of the right term for it. What would you say that that equation mm -hmm. sort of that's how life should be is is possibly gone now. I think yeah. there, there are so many opportunities to to do your own thing and be your own person and be super happy without having a degree or even achieve success in your field without having a degree. Absolutely. There's, um, in fact, I was talking to a friend yesterday and she was telling me about a girl near where she lives that was an accountant and during lockdown decided she was going to sell pyjamas. So decided to sell pyjamas and has made an yeah. absolute fortune and has now given a notice in and no longer wants to work in an accountant and is going to have a pyjama business, which I think uh -huh. is a great, a great success story. But I guess even the lockdown has kind of, again, taken me out of my comfort zone. Yeah. I generally work face-to-face -face with clients. I've always worked face-to-face, -face. but lockdown, no face-to-face. -face. And it's like, what do you do now? I was like, okay, it's about that evolving. It's taking sometimes mm. that next step. And I was like, I can do online via Zoom, which, you know, I've said before, that was never even in my vocabulary, certainly before March. Yeah. I've never even heard of Zoom, um, apart from they were banned from the 80s. And oh, this, it was a song from the 80s by a band um, in the 80s. That was my only recollection of Zoom. That's so it. it's now kind of forced me out of my comfort zone to work online. Social media has changed everything. There just mm. are so many opportunities. And, and you use the word in there as well, should, which I always believe the should is, where does the should come from? Is the should our should or is it somebody else's? should you know is it somebody else's beliefs yeah rather than our beliefs um you know and it's important to try and catch ourselves as well with the shoulds you know mm. maybe i should have done university some people might say straight from college 
but that wasn't that wasn't my plan that wasn't the journey I was I was going on it wasn't what people people in my circle of friends didn't go to university they just didn't um I suppose it's societal perception isn't it of what we should do but really as you just mentioned should is, is very is a very powerful word and it's that social construct I suppose that people are now breaking quite readily and aptly which is I think fantastic for our sort of our human race because yeah, absolutely. How, how, we make, how we're meant to make or break new boundaries if we're confined to this kind of social construct of you you must do this you must do that and then that will get you to where you need to be but actually there there are so many different routes to where you would like to be yeah, absolutely it's, it's, it's very much the should the should is somebody else's perception yeah I always feel, I always say it's somebody else's blueprint of their life, but that isn't necessarily the blueprint for your life. No. Um, and I think, you know, these times are allowing us more flexibility. And I think flexibility is always key. You know, if we're flexible with something, uh, I guess, you know, you work in outdoors. If a tree is not flexible, it will break. Yeah. You know, in stormy times, that tree will snap. But if it has that little bit of bend of flexibility in it, it will it will move with the time. It'll, it'll sway a little bit. You know, it might even go right the way over, but it won't break. No, that's so it. I think it's, it's good to have a little bit of flexibility in our plans. Um, which I like to think I've always had that, you know, I'm always kind of, okay, that's not worked. Let's try something different. Um, so I think, you know, that's a good message to give to people as well, especially younger people that, you know, we've had exams, mm. you know, if people are not getting those grades, doesn't matter as much no you know do it again reset the year if it's that important to go yeah. to the university or you know take a different path but I, I see a lot of people that struggle when they work with shoulds and yeah. there's not a lot of flexibility um that can cause a lot of people pain so yeah flexibility really is also point. Key. Really they're thinking about that small <clears throat> word but yet such a powerful word isn't it should mm. See, this is why I love doing these conversations because things pop up that I wasn't even expecting like that and they <laughs> think even more so. So it's really, really nice to, to sort of have that moment. Mm-hmm. So my next question then is to sort of move us a little bit forward is why is death, it's very morbid, but there we are. Why is death and the act of dying so hard to speak about for, for us as human beings, but yet highly important that we do? It is, it's a, death is, can almost feel like a taboo subject at times. It's don't mention, don't mention death. People will, you know, move away from conversations um, around death. And, and death is hard because death brings with it finality. Mm. It's dead, the, you know, dependent on your religious beliefs, there may be, you know, people may believe that there is something after death, but in this particular world, that is that is the end of it mm. um, and I think that's that's hard as humans we don't want to feel pain we we want to move away from pain we don't want our loved ones to feel pain so we will avoid it at all at all costs we will will avoid having the conversations um, I think you know particularly in Britain we've we've become very stoic over the years that that is moving a little bit now but you know historically it was very st- you know stiff upper lip very British we don't cry um and I think particularly you know it was that boys don't cry mm. you know, men don't cry toughen up which again thankfully that is is completely changing it's being smashed because yeah, definitely you know, men cry women cry children cry we all cry we all feel emotions and it, you know it's important that that we're allowed to feel those emotions and explore explore those feelings and but we only really like the positive feelings as humans. We don't always want to be around those negative ones. And even talking about it, sometimes it can almost, I've heard people say, oh, it almost feels like I'm inviting it in. If I talk about it, it might appear at my door, um, which logically we know isn't the case, but that emotional part of us will sort of, will move away from it because we just don't want to have that, um, that conversation. But, yeah it's really important to talk about 
um, because we will all experience grief. Yeah. So we will either, you know, have a loved one or friend that dies and we feel that grief or we will provide that grief to somebody else. Um, and there's just no getting away from that, unfortunately. No. Um, but also grief's invisible. So people will present a face to the world mm. that can almost be like that. You know, you see a lot of analogies about icebergs. So yeah. what we might present to, to the world will be the tip of that iceberg and it'll look all okay, what's, what's normal. But underneath that, there's a lot going on. There could be a lot of pain, sadness, confusion, lots and lots of emotions that will all be sitting underneath that iceberg and the mask that we present to the world. Definitely. Um, so it is, yeah, it is important as adults to talk about a grief, but also, you know, to talk about grief with them, um, with children as well. And the more we don't talk about it, the more painful it can actually become. Definitely. So it is important to have those, those conversations and, and where possible, try to have them in advance, mm. which, you know, again, that can also be a difficult subject. You know, who wants to talk to their, the granny about what do you want when you die absolutely you know? i think isn't it we, we don't want to have those conversations but but actually in having those conversations we can prepare the way for a better experience mm. um there is actually an organization that was formed called dying matters which is all about dying and and mm. having the best death possible um so whether that's for the person that's dying or <clears throat> for the people around that you know there's a lot of emotion around death when somebody dies there is that you know confusion especially if it's a sudden death there's there's even more emotions that will surface and i think the more we can be prepared the better um that can certainly be as well it's quite interesting what you say there with regards to how it emotions which are clearly invisible but perhaps by speaking about our emotions they become tangible things that we can sort of mold and shape perhaps. Would yeah. That be, that yeah. By, by actually speaking with our emotions as well, we, we kind of releasing them from us um, because, you know, with death, we hold it in our heads, mm. but the thoughts that we have then present physical sensations in our bodies. So we also hold grief in our bodies as well. Um, so it's important to, to kind of recognise that and recognise the different feelings that we're actually having as well. Yeah. Uh, you pick up something that you said that we hold in our bodies. It's a lot like um, the, the three types of stresses that can be placed onto our body, that kind of idea of physical stress, emotional stress, and chemical stress. Mm. And obviously emotions come under that emotional stress, which we perhaps, if we don't address how we feel and if it's a negative thought, a thought rather like grief, it can really be detrimental and put our body in a state of dis-ease or as we most commonly know it, disease and things like that mm -hmm. can, can manifest itself. And potentially that chronic stress is, is as we well know in, in the modern world, is not a very good thing to have. Um, yeah. yeah. And we, when we do, we hold that, you know, that stress in our bodies. And, mm. you know, I've heard people say that they've actually got a physical pain. They actually mm -hmm. feel the pain in the, in the chest. We feel like the heart is literally breaking. Wow. Um, which as well that's um, a powerful image actually Think yeah that emotion being that powerful that it physically hurts yeah and people have described it as a physical pain and you know people have asked the question can you die from grief and and the answer is actually indirectly yes because you can be that that suffering that you know think other symptoms will present themselves within you so it is really important to sort of talk about the grief, explore the emotions um, and particularly men as well they feel it in their legs all right so like, men feel it in their legs a lot more as well um, but yeah it's that physical uh, that real physical sensation that we get um, which can also lead to that grief can also feel um, similar to fear and when we're yeah. frightened we have that flight flight mm. um, and we make it that choice and and actually moving when we are experiencing grief can help our body understand that, you know, that fear we've, we've moved, we've taken flight and it can actually help to settle us down a little bit. Um, 
that I'm moving, which will then sort of give us some relief from that physical sensation, even if it's only temporary. Um, but when someone's so immersed in grief, generally they will take just a small respite from from that. Um, that is, yeah, it's a powerful thought, isn't it, really? How, mm-hmm. how it, it can really rock our our body it's such a powerful force like grief can really rock our body and make it sort of as you said pain pain and sort of yeah just make it really an unpleasant all-round experience and I suppose it comes back to what we were saying that it's a taboo subject because of that we're moving away from that pain because it's not a very nice thing to speak about but ultimately so important that we do to relieve ourselves of that pain Absolutely, yeah, and, and you know, I've had clients come to me, and they've been so distressed that that you know, friends around them find it so difficult to even talk about the other person's grief. Mm. They, you know, sometimes they will pretend it's not even happened, which then adds to the confusion mm. because the person's going, "Do they actually know? Do they know that person's died?" And that can create anxiety for them because they're they're wondering, then, "Do they know?" Because they're not acknowledging to me. Um, and sometimes people avoid those conversations because they don't want to upset the person. They don't want to make them sad. But actually having that conversation is not going to make them any sadder. No. They're already sad. But actually acknowledging the conversation can create a connection with them and can help them as well. It's almost that theory of masking, isn't it? Mm, yeah, people will mask. Yeah. You know, the grieved person will mask they, the other people will mask it because they don't want to upset them and everybody ends up wearing a mask mm. but it's actually sometimes getting all those feelings out and having a look at them and chatting about them and and comforting somebody with them and um, that can be really really helpful so my next question then moving on from from that but keeping it hopefully quite positive so people get a lot out of it <laughs> and this is this one's a twofold question which is, should we speak to children openly about death? And if so, how might a parent approach this? Okay. Yeah, it's an interesting question, isn't it? Because as parents, we want to protect our children. We don't want our children to feel pain. We don't want them to be upset. Um, that is a natural, you know, for a carer or a parent to do. But it is absolutely important to speak to your child about death. Um, and also to use age-appropriate language. So use a language that's appropriate to them, but also use the correct language. So, you know, use the words dead, death. Um, and whilst you know, they may feel harsh to use, but they are the correct word. Um, yeah. I think what it does otherwise, it's, it adds to the confusion for the child. If we try and soften that um, to protect them and we say, you know, we've, we've lost grandma and children, you know, they don't have the range of experiences that we have so that, you know, they might relate it to, oh, I lost a toy last week, so hopefully I'll find it. Mm-hmm. So that can be confusing for a child. Oh, we've lost grandma, but she might turn up again next week, next month. Um, so it kind of gives them that almost like a false impression that they may come back. Yeah. Um, so that's you know that is important to to use that kind of word, um, but also as well with you know things like they've gone to heaven. Now I did Google heaven and I thought I'll, I'll Google it before before we speak and why it's heaven, um, and I came up with like the religious version of heaven, but also got sweet heaven, which sells sweets, milkshakes, and cake, um, and I also found a club in London called Heaven. So I guess, yeah. So I guess for a child as well, you know, they've gone to heaven. Again, it could be that, oh, okay, well, I know there's a shop and it's something heaven. So maybe they're going to come back from, from that place. They'll be back. Yeah, they're going to be back. So it is really important to, to use, you know, the correct words, but also words that you, you know, are appropriate for the age of your child and explanations and, you know, everybody knows their child best yeah. so it's kind of saying it in a way that that is more helpful um to them as well so and it's going to be just so different with everybody um and how you 
you approach it. So then how would you, because obviously if you, if you use the words dead, death, mm -hmm. how would then you explain those terms to a child that is, again, age appropriate, but also not going to give them any false impressions to allow mm -hmm. them to kind of process what's happening or what, what is going to happen perhaps to, to a member of their family? Sure. Um, if it's been an illness, what I would always say is, is involve them in that journey um, mm. along the way. So if a person is, is poorly, let them see, you know, the poorly person. You know, again, as parents, carers, we want to keep them away. You know, they're, they're real. We don't want them to see that. But I guess to quote the Lion King, um, as we're talking about children, it's the, you know, it's the circle of life. Yeah. Um, um, I think we're quite, quite willing to take them to the hospital or to see the new baby that's born, give them a little hold and, yeah. um, and celebrate that. But the other end, they're departing from this world. We, we really want to steer them away from it. So it is about having you know, those age appropriate conversations with them and, and kind of finding that space and time to sit down and talk to them involve them you know involve them in that journey they may have already experienced death if they've had a pet yeah or you know they might have had a fish a cat a dog horse and they'll be familiar with it but actually bringing it into an adult um or a child death then you know it's they're on that journey it's not they're not coming into this right at the very end um which then for them would appear like a sudden death mm. A bit more of a shock, wouldn't it, I suppose? Yeah. But where did exactly. that come from? Sort of blindside them. Because yeah. ch children aren't as naive as we possibly perceive them to be. They know what's going on well before we actually tell them. Absolutely. Children, children are so perceptive. Children, I always think, have ears like animals. That they, they hear things, even if you say it in a whisper. They hear it. They sense it. They sense that something's a little bit different. They're so perceptive. Um, and a personal experience in my family was last year, my son experienced three of his grandparents dying. Um, and that was in a really short space of time. That was in six months. And that, you know, that was hard for us. It was hard for, for him. But we involved him along that journey. You know, he knew that his grandma was poorly. He knew that his granddads were poorly. Mm. He, he asked questions. He knew that it was very likely that they wouldn't get better, that they would die. So we, we did involve him in very age appropriate um, sort of conversations. And we were always available to answer the questions because children are, you know, amazing at asking questions. Definitely. That are just, they must sometimes just feel so random. Um, but my little boy, we you know we involved him, but one of his grandparents had throat cancer. And we, me and my husband were talking one day saying, oh, they might do a, a graft of skin off his leg and put it onto his neck. We didn't exclude my little boy. It was just, we were having that conversation, sort of making dinner. And he picked that up. Now he'd taken that away and processed it himself. Mm. And the day that the operation was due to take place, we said, you know, we're going to go to the hospital, take grandma, to, to see grandma's having an operation. He went, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, yeah, he went. So is he having his leg cut off and put on his neck? And I was like, no, no, he's not having his leg chopped off and put on his neck. What makes you think that? And he went, because I heard you say you're going to put skin off his leg onto his neck. Now, because at his young age, he, yeah. he doesn't understand, you know, skin no. graft. Why would he? Um, interpretation of what, what, he, uh, what he saw. Yeah. Really? yeah. So his interpretation was very, very different. Mm. Um, and I've also heard people say that, you know, going to a funeral home after a person has died and somebody said, you know, we're going to see the body, then the child actually thought they didn't have a head because they just thought it was a body. Yeah. So they do take things very, very literal at yeah, times yeah, um, and in a very simplified version because they, they don't always have that, that life experience to draw on. Um, so it is keeping it age appropriate, involving them um, and just making that time and space for, for questions and answering those questions really honestly so mm. that every family member is on the same page yes so that you know everybody knows exactly the same because 
keeping secrets can also then be stressful. Oh, absolutely. You know, if you're not going to tell such a buddy, don't tell them because they might be too upset or don't tell them because they might react in this way. And you forget you know. who you told what to who. And <laughs> yeah, and it becomes really extra stress that is just not needed around, yeah. around that time. So, you know, it is having those conversations in, in the best way that you can. So what would be your top three do's and don'ts when a parent plucks up the courage to sort of speak about death with their children? So my top three do's and don'ts. I, I like to make lists because I think it becomes very actionable then, doesn't it? Right, I've got yeah. top three here and then top, top three don'ts yeah. here. And... Yeah, but I, I just touched a little bit on one of my top threes, which would be don't, don't make the language confusing. Mm. So, you know, keep it, keep it factual, but using age-appropriate language for them. Um, so it just doesn't confuse them further, further down the line when the person dies. Or if the person's died, be really honest and open. Um, allow them questions. Again, answer the questions as, as much as you can. You know, I remember when one of my son's granddads died and he said, so uh, what do we do now? And I was like, well, you can have a burial, which he understood very well because we'd had a hamster that had died previously that was buried. So that was like, oh, yeah, I get that. That's what we did with the hamster. But or we can have a cremation. Well, what's a cremation? So then it was explaining in age appropriate terms what a cremation is, yeah. what happens to the body. And he's like, okay. So you could kind of almost see him processing that information. And then it was, his question was, so then what do we do with the bits? Which as an adult, you're like, oh, yeah. what do you mean the bits? <laughs> um, you mean the ashes? And I was like, oh, they're called the ashes. Oh, yeah, okay, the bits. And he kept going back to the bits. And then we had conversations about what you can actually do with the ashes. You know, you can plant trees, you can make jewelry. You know, he came up with his own ideas. Yeah. One was fly them to Tenerife because that's where we went on our holidays. So they make their own little connections as well. Yeah. Um, but it, it's just involving them. And it's so a lot of though, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. So that would be one of my top, top don'ts is, is don't confuse them. Mm. Um, but equally in there, there's also a do. And do keep them involved. Um, don't be afraid to to shy away from the conversations you know as adults we like we said earlier we don't want to have that painful conversation we don't want to see the child upset but it's exploring that conversation and, and being brave to have that conversation with them even if it is difficult mm. and you know don't be afraid either to to get support in there's you know some excellent charities out there um child bereavement uk you know there's lots of literature so you, know, you might want to do use books yeah you know, definitely. use other sort of tools as well to to have these conversations um, I find with books and sort of journals and videos mm -hmm. it almost makes you feel a little bit better about the situation you're in because you uh can find out someone else who's been through what you've been through and almost it's that reassurance perhaps that you need that you know you're not the first ever person to go through this and you know these feelings are normal or this thing is happening and this yeah. happened to lots of people. Um, and I, yeah, I do find a lot of reassurance in sort of literature and things like that, which is really helpful for me in certain areas, not necessarily death, but in other mm. areas as well. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, death can be a lonely time. So the more resources you can get around, around death um, to help our children, then the better. Mm. Um, and I'd say, don't be afraid to be upset. Don't be afraid to let them see you cry. Mm. Um, I've heard people say, oh, don't let the kids see me cry. But it's okay to cry. Mm. You know, that's, that's how we teach our next generation. Absolutely. That it is okay to cry. You know, whether you're a boy or a girl, you can cry. You know, it's okay to express emotion. I think, you know, for many years that have gone, there's been so many emotions that have been squashed down. And then they pop out somewhere. Yeah. You know, they will come back up, but if we get them out as they're happening, we can kind of move on easier with our life. Mm. Um, so I'd say, yeah, don't be afraid to, to cry and don't be afraid to, to let them see you cry. Mm. It is okay to be upset. It's sad. We love the person. And some of my do's would be, just touched on it briefly there as well, do seek help and support. Um, one for your child to support you with those conversations but also for yourself. Mm. You know, sometimes you'll get one person in the household that feels like they have to carry it all. Yeah. 
no, I've got to support the family. Yeah. Um, and if you've got a big family, that's a lot of people to support. But then who's supporting you? Absolutely. You know? um, so it is important to, to get that support for yourself, whether that be professional support mm. or whether that be friends, family, you know, other people outside. Sometimes, you know, in grief, people that were never on your radar will suddenly swoop in yeah. and help out. Um, and it's accepting that, but also as well telling people what you need. You know, well-meaning friends and family might go, oh, I'm going to take you out or we're going to do this. But actually, that may make you feel worse because you've got to put a mask on and that isn't what you need right now. So being really honest with people and saying, I don't want to do that. I just want to maybe want to sit with a cup of tea and cry. But they want you just sat by them. They just want that company. So again, it's that open conversation and being really clear what you want and what you need in that in that moment. I suppose you're um, as strong as your support network, aren't you? Really? Absolutely. And and support networks in grief are are vital. Mm. You know, they they will help us so so much. Um but the more support that you can build around yourself, the less isolating that can be for you. Yeah. yeah. And again, we've kind of touched on that a little bit there as well, um, about not packing it away, but also validating somebody's grief so do we've touched on it earlier a little bit you know if you have somebody that is experiencing grief acknowledge it you know you're not going to make it worse you know saying that you're sorry that the person has died validating their existence and and allowing them that space to talk about them i've heard many people say that i said that a little bit earlier that sometimes people find it so hard and if if the person starts to talk about the deceased they want to shut it down. Like, let's, oof, we're getting onto the, we're getting onto them now. Let's move this conversation off that, yeah. Yeah. which doesn't make them feel validated. Um, and it can be really saddening and really confusing for them that they just don't have that, that space to talk about that person. I suppose it prolongs that grief, as you mentioned before, as well, by doing that. Yeah, because, yeah, it just prolongs it because they're not, their emotions are not allowed to come out. Mm. Um, and this could be, have been the most important person in, in somebody's life. Yeah. And to actually, I've had people say that it almost felt like people have tried to erase them, that that part doesn't exist anymore and we won't talk about them. And if you do talk about them, we'll move it right off, off that subject onto something that feels a little bit safer. Yeah. Um, but the, the person experiencing the grief will, will most of the time want to speak about it, mm. but it will be in their time as well. So it's, again, it's giving people that, that time and it being their time to speak. Mm. Um, so I feel that's really, really important as well. I mean, by validating someone's death, you're acknowledging the impact that they may have had on your life. And if it's someone who shaped you, like a parent, for example, that, that's hugely powerful that you need to feel that. And because you are the existential representation of that parent, mm. aren't you? Because you know, you're their offspring. So yeah, I yeah. think that's a really powerful message that you make there. Yeah, I know we've sort of spoken a lot about children, but mm -hmm. I feel it would be really of huge value at the moment in history, uh, or in this moment and in history in general because of what we've just gone through. Um, to highlight something you mentioned off air, mm -hmm. um, and for the adults that may be listening, really, and it was the notion of suspended grief. Um, would you mind speaking a, a little bit more about that? Now we're on it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're in very strange, strange times. And we're kind of hearing this term now of suspended grief, where a person has died either before lockdown, they've died during lockdown, whether COVID-related, non-COVID-related. And it's almost like we're kind of experiencing lots of losses, multiple losses then. We've got the loss of the person that's died, but then we're also experiencing the loss of the plans that we may have had for that person's funeral. Mm. So we've got the loss of all of those things. And also we've got the loss of, as a nation that we're experiencing of our life, that we've also lost, you know, that, that life that was pre-March. Um, but in that as well, in those sort of deaths pre or during um, lockdown, we're not having the same rituals. We're not, we're not being allowed to grieve. I've heard people say that they feel robbed. They're feeling really, really aggrieved and, and very robbed of those times, those precious moments that, 
that we would maybe have that you know if you know a death is coming we have our rituals we have those those moments where we might hold a person's hand as they take the last breath we might spend days with them because we know that they're, they're dying if it wasn't hard enough already isn't it really absolutely yeah it's as if that wasn't hard enough we're now being forced to almost sort of mediaize in some ways death you know we've seen on the news that people have got ipads so you're kind of watching a loved one via an ipad to die and you know that's so hard for people it's it's not what we're used to it's not what we've done um and then we've got funerals which again are via zoom you've got to pick and choose who can go to the funeral you know all the rituals that we would have have been taken away and stripped right back um so that isn't allowing us to move through some of those stages of grief that we would do right at the beginning the preparation for the funeral the you know inviting people to the funeral the the wake afterwards where we'll celebrate the person's life the putting your arm around the loved one who's upset offering them a tissue everything even the simplest of things has been stripped right back mm. um so it's finding that way around around that and figuring what do we do to get those rituals but in the times that we're in um you know things like lighting a candle so if you you know all agree to light a candle at a certain time and you know if you're religious to say a prayer or mm. you know meeting via zoom or you know cooking a person's favorite recipe something that will connect you planning a memorial for a point in time in advance so that you you can have those rituals again um and it is finding that those ways to navigate through them as best that you can as a person and as a family mm. um because they are really difficult times and a lot of people have have struggled with with death in these times Definitely. i've known people that have actually delayed funerals um until kind of now so that person has again that person's been held you know in a funeral home for months because they've not wanted to do it with such restrictions other people have had funerals with such restrictions but it's it's finding that time and space then to to perform those rituals for yourself mm. um and to find something journaling i know you mentioned journals earlier and you know, writing things down how you're feeling even writing a letter to the deceased person um in the absence of actually going to a funeral home and seeing them mm. for the last time anything that you can do um to help with that process for yourself again it just highlights the importance of speaking about it doesn't it and processing those thoughts and emotions with your loved ones and with people that really matter in your life and particularly possibly now more than ever before even if it was something that was hard before now i think it's more crucial than ever yeah um, absolutely and, and if mentioned yeah and if there aren't you know if you're not from a, a big family or a close family that can feel even more lonely mm. so you know it's reaching out to the organizations that are around as well there's been a lot of organizations set up in recent times to support people who are alone or feeling alone so it's kind of taking that step as well to to reach out and ask for that help um just to share those emotions and and don't stick with them yourself no definitely i think that's another good thing about sort of as we've progressed through to being able to speak more about our emotions in in the world that we now live is that there's a lot more support out there there's a lot more help out there for people and it's easily accessible as opposed to being <laughs> that sort of back street taboo subject of oh you know i yeah. need to speak to someone but i don't know i can't tell anybody that i need to do this and you kind of do a, like a private google search it's now yeah. it's, it's out there and people are more willing to to see it perhaps as as um a healthy choice I suppose yeah. a little bit like going to see GP and things like that that there is help out there and there is people out there that really understand what you're going through and who you are and everything like that yeah and it is important to, to surround yourself with those those positives um and you know yeah seeing a, a therapist in the past as you've rightly said has been all taboo mm. um and it is changing but there is still elements that that are not kind of moving as quickly no. as we would like but but yeah, definitely, there are a lot of organisations, and if you know speaking to somebody face to face isn't the thing for you, it's even reaching out to organisations 
that you know sometimes do um, online chat or they do phone so it kind of gives you that anonymity um but it's just another avenue to express that that grief for yourself that's just a question that popped in my head there with that anonymity do you think it's easier for people to speak about their emotions and their feelings with someone they they don't know and it's is sort of removed from your individual situation as opposed to speaking to someone who's close to you there's a variety i know <laughs> Maybe. certainly um certainly clients i've worked with at times will will express that it's actually easier to speak to somebody you don't know because they're not emotionally involved with them mm. so they're not going to lie awake all night worrying about them whereas if you share something with a family member or a friend they might might worry about it a lot mm. and they you know i have a lot of people saying well i don't want to be a burden um and they find it easier to be to be more open and more honest at times that's not everybody some mm. people have got networks that they are really very open and very honest with um and they have those dialogues but but for some people they say it, it can be easier to speak to somebody that i've never met mm. i may never bump into again and i just want to to have some help with this part of my life mm. um so yeah it, it can be helpful definitely so before we sort of think about wrapping up um what projects are you working on at the moment which you're super excited about Right. Well, at the moment, I have used lockdown. Um, again, this was accidental. My life feels like a series of accidents, but they're always good. Um, that I saw um, an online course that I thought that looked quite interesting. So I have, it's not to do with bereavement, I've um, just qualified as a mental health first aider. Oh, fantastic. So that is going to be um, mandatory, I believe, in businesses over the next five years, as you would have a, a first aider that deals with cuts so I've just qualified as that. So I'm really excited to be sort of rolling that out and working a little bit more in that area. Definitely. And I've also secured some new premises in Upper Mill, which oh. I'm very, very excited about. Um, so that's going to be offering therapy as in counseling therapy, but also uh, like Reiki, massage, meditation. So really something that, that looks after your mind and your body. Mm, that's a holistic wellness, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that whole holistic uh, wellness. So I'm going to be there from September time. So I'm very excited. All, all being that. well, everything gets lifted. and it Well, goes. all being well, yes. Yeah. So I'll be flexible. I've been flexible so far. So yeah, all being well, I will be there from September. So I'm very excited about that. And I'm very excited um, to progress further in the mental health first aid as well. So... Yeah. I think that'd be really good for organizations because mm. again organizations that could be that taboo of i don't feel you know if you phone in with a cold it's okay yeah if you phone in saying my head doesn't feel right today i just don't i don't my mood doesn't feel right mm. people don't feel as okay no. um and i know that america have become of all places quite good at having um and some organizations over here like duvet days um, where you're allowed to, you've given so many, and if you just wake up going, I feel a bit, yeah, you can just ring in. Um, but on a, a different level, if somebody is experiencing mental health, mental ill health, then they don't always want to ring up and tell people that. Um, Again, presumably in work, perhaps attached, isn't it? Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm excited about the mental, um, mental health first aid, because I think that will be really good to to kind of get companies on board and to Definitely. to get them to be supportive mm. or and know what kind of support that people will need so yeah very exciting times okay. it sounds it it sounds really exciting and something you know you're you're very passionate about which is always a, a good start isn't it really um so how how can people find you if they want to sort of access your services or uh, find out more about sort of this mental um mental first aid, mental health first aid would it be or mental, it health, first aid? mental, mental health first aid yes um, so I have a website which is www.thecounsellingservice.co.uk and I also have a Facebook page which is Facebook The Counselling Service. So I can be found on both of, both of those. I will pop a link onto your Definitely. page for you as well. Um, you. Yeah and I'll also um, pop some links as well to, to some of the charities that I've Definitely. referred to that, um, that may be really helpful for people and some literature as well. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time and joining me 
for a chat about sort of quite a morbid subject, but something I feel is incredibly important for both children and indeed adults now and before and into the future. Thank you. You're welcome. There we are. I'll speak to you again very soon. Speak to you soon. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening to Leading from the Forest. It was great to sit down with Gillian and discuss what was a huge realisation for me a few weeks ago, naively so. There will be children coming out of this pandemic without loved ones. And it percolated within me ideas of how will I adequately be able to take care of these individuals' emotional development if they were to attend a forest school session with me. It brought up inside of me a discomfort of not really knowing the best course of action professionally. However, through approaching Gillian and following this conversation, it has placed me in a better standing. Although, admittedly, there is more to learn and practice, I feel the digging of the foundations has been done. The conversation, as always, inspired within me several points to ponder over further. The first being stepping outside your comfort zone and trusting that somehow it will all come right in the end. And do you know what? It usually does. Taking my personal experience and my exit from teaching, a move into forest school as a full-time role was one that was held with intrepidation by those closest to me and, admittedly, myself. There have been times that have been super hard throughout this transition, I won't lie, both emotionally and financially. But I have found my way to a fruitful destination and I am humbled and grateful to do the thing I adore each and every day, serendipitous or not. Life has an odd way of doing things and if you're willing to keep grafting and being flexible to the outside stress factors, bending like a tree but never snapping to use Gillian's analogy, then you will ride the wave and come out of the other side in a much better position. Problems will come to us all, but as someone once told me, we as humans are either going into trouble, going through trouble, or are coming out of some trouble. Harness the image of a tree in these situations. It can obviously be difficult when it's your closest family who simply want to protect you. However, by following completely their worries or instructions, you are listening to someone else's socially constructed perception or blueprint of the world and not your own. We as humans cannot live in the shadow of someone else and need to find our own voice in this ever-changing world. Ultimately, children are no different. The second was the invisibility of death and how this can present a difficult challenge to explain to our children and for them to understand. The more we don't talk about it, the more painful it becomes and can have long-lasting effects into their adult lives. Perhaps by speaking about our emotions, they become tangible things we can shape and mould and release from within our minds and our subconscious. As Gillian touched upon, we hold grief in our bodies and its potential to cause chronic stress and at times physical pain is something I fear more dangerous long term than the actual pain of talking about grief and loss at the time. Unboxing those emotions to look at them and analyse how they are impacting our sense of well-being can be extremely powerful in helping a person move on and none more so than perhaps trying to explain the events, these feelings and our emotions to our children. Through explaining to someone your thoughts, it causes you to think more deeply about the words, the tone, the expressions and the ideas you'd like to get across, which in itself can be extremely powerful for healing. In turn, children will undoubtedly ask searching questions that force us to stop, to think and importantly reflect ever more to helping the healing process and understanding for both yourself and your children. Similar ideas surrounding questioning the given things in life and reflecting on actually why you do things the way you do them and its key importance to complacency or to avoid complacency rather were raised when I spoke to Dr Francis Harris in an earlier sit down Sunday episode which you can find in the description below. As parents undoubtedly you want to protect your children but it is important to speak and explain death and dying in age appropriate language but also that which is correct such as death and dead. It may feel harsh, but ultimately it will take away possible confusion for your child, which they will undoubtedly be experiencing at this time. So allowing them to begin to make sense of this extremely odd situation. In addition, by involving a child in, morbidly, the journey to death of a loved one, if they are, heaven forbid, diagnosed with a terminal illness, 
can actually be hugely beneficial to a child and their ability to process and come to terms with the situation at hand and their developing emotional and cognitive development. Knowing is understanding and as I've said many times before, understanding is hugely powerful for a child. Ultimately, as raised by Gillian, you as a parent will know your child best and how you go about this is at your discretion because there really could be a number of factors that differ from situation to situation. My third and final point as raising the conversation was the notion of if this all becomes too much, and it can, don't be afraid to reach out to a variety of external sources to gain support to help you and your child on this journey even to simply equip you with the skills to be able to hold a meaningful and enlightening conversation with your child about death. It can be a lonely time and the more resources that you can access, the more benefit it will provide for you. And please, don't be afraid to show emotion. We all have them and children really need to see this so they are able to see that expressing these are okay. You are the model for their future after all. Do seek help, do seek guidance to access those conversations and support net networks that are now greater in number than ever before. As the line goes, it's okay to not be okay. To find out more about Gillian and her work, please follow the links mentioned in the episode or indeed below in the show notes. To find out more about EcoEd Forest School specifically, please visit the website at www.ecoedforestschool.co.uk. Have the most amazing rest of your day and I look forward to joining you again very soon.